Well, you have Ephesians chapter 1 in front of you on the service sheets. The grand theme of this opening chapter is none less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's mentioned by names by name in this chapter 11 times. If you include the references to he, him, whom, it's more than double that. So he is mentioned at least as many times as there are verses. At the same time, this chapter is almost an index of Christian doctrine, a checklist, if you like. It refers to grace and peace in Christ, spiritual blessings in Christ, election and predestination through him. It talks about salvation, adoption, acceptance, inheritance. It mentions being sealed with the Spirit and the need for holiness. It talks about faith, wisdom, hope, power. It's all here in this passage. We could say that it's a veritable casket of jewels, and yet one jewel shines more brightly uh, than all the others. And it is the the central doctrine uh, of the Christian faith, the subject of redemption. In chapter 1, verse 7, speaking of Christ, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption is, I suppose, a bit of an old-fashioned word, but it is one of the most important words in the Bible, and therefore it's a word that we need to understand. I wonder what redemption means to you. C.H. Spurgeon said, I thought I could have leapt from earth to heaven at one spring when I first saw my sins drowned in the Redeemer's blood. If we truly know redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we we will feel as he did. So what is redemption? What is redemption? Well, it's, it's closely linked with the word ransom. They are both translated in the scriptures from the the, the same or a very similar uh, Greek word. If someone has been kidnapped, a ransom is demanded and the price must be paid in order for them to be released. And if that happens, then we can say they have been redeemed from captivity. These two words, ransom and redeemed, are often used interchangeably, but we can say perhaps that the ransom is the price, redemption is the process. Ransom is the price, redemption is the process. If we are redeemed, if we have been ransomed, then we have been purchased. The price has been paid, we have been bought back. One of the the most famous examples of redemption in English history is that of uh, Richard I, who, returning from the Crusades in 1192, was captured by Duke Leopold of Austria and imprisoned there. Subsequently, he was handed over to the German Emperor, Henry VI, who demanded a ransom for his release, 
and the ransom that he demanded was 100,000 pounds of silver. That's a a lot of money today. It was certainly a lot uh, in those days, but the English people gathered together the amount that was asked uh, and they paid it in order to redeem their king. There are, of course, plenty of examples of redemption in the Old Testament. On the night of the Passover, God said that the eldest son in every house in the land of Egypt was going to die. But he made a special provision for his people, the Jews. He told them to take a lamb. They were to slay the lamb and they were to sprinkle the the blood of the lamb on the doorposts uh, either side, uh, on the outside of the door and above uh, the door on the lintel. And God said that when he passed over that house and he saw the, 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 the blood upon the doorposts, they would be safe inside. They would be spared. There is a sense in which the lamb was slain in the place of the firstborn. Effectively, the, the lamb was the redemption price, although the, the word isn't actually used in that passage. Throughout the Old Testament, it, it refers often and generally to God having redeemed his people from Egypt. Perhaps that's an allusion to the Passover lamb. Perhaps it's simply using the, the word slightly more loosely uh, in the sense of freeing. But in Exodus, tw- uh, Exodus thirteen twelve, God made it a statute in Israel that the first firstborn uh, of every creature belonged to him. It was be- to be offered to him uh, as a sacrifice. But in the the case of an ass, which was a a very important and valuable beast of burden, God said that a lamb could be offered in the place of the ass. And so the lamb died in order to redeem the ass. The same principle, in fact, applied to the, the firstborn amongst their sons. The firstborn son belonged to God, but they were to ransom him with a lamb or with uh, another animal. In Leviticus 25, God set out the rights for redemption. If someone through poverty sold a piece of property, a house or a piece of land, he was so poor he had to sell it. But later on, the law allowed for him to come back and redeem it. He could pay the price and redeem that which he had lost. Similarly, if a man sold himself into slavery because he was so hard up, a relative could come at a later date and redeem him by paying the price. This was the Old Testament law. This was the law that God gave uh, to his people. In the book of Ruth, we have a a very clear illustration uh, of how that worked. We read there of a man by the name of Elimelech who lived in Bethlehem. And he sold his land and went to the land of Moab. And there his two sons married Moabite women. But in due time, both he and his sons died. And so Naomi, his widow, returned to Bethlehem with Ruth, one of the two daughter-in-laws. And there they were struggling to survive. They had no land. It had been sold. They had no income. And so Boaz, who was a close relative redeemed the land as he was allowed to under the Old Testament law. He paid the price, he bought it back, 
and with it, in effect, he also purchased Ruth to be his wife. A lovely picture of redemption. The prophet Jeremiah similarly redeemed a piece of land that had been sold by his uncle. We read about that in Jeremiah chapter 32. He paid the money. He signed the the document in the presence of witnesses. He redeemed it so that it might not be lost to the family. Inheritance was very important to the Jews. Their land had been given to them by God. Uh, and therefore it was very precious. And so God uh, gave this right uh, of redemption. And the Bible uses these things to to picture our redemption uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures also, of course, contain many prophecies uh, about our redemption. Job 19, verse 25, Job says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job lived centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ, but he looked forward to the coming of Christ, to the coming of the Redeemer. Psalm 49, verse 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Death is the great enemy, but the psalmist looked for redemption from death to Almighty God. Psalm 130, we read, With the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We see there that God's redemption is is full and abundant. Uh, It is overflowing. Isaiah 59 verse 20 says the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob saith the Lord. Again a prophecy of the coming of the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who would leave heaven and come to earth. He would come to Jerusalem and he would die upon a cross that those who were prepared to turn from their sin might find redemption in him. Well, we can say then that redemption carries the, uh, the thought of being freed from bondage, perhaps a, a, a prisoner or a slave. The price is paid and they are released, or perhaps the recovery of something that was lost for one reason or another. When Paul spoke in his epistles of redemption, it was very meaningful to his hearers. As I said earlier, 50% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. In theory, at least, they could be freed if they could earn enough money to pay the price, or if somebody else were to put up the money for them. Occasionally that happened, but for most it would never happen. So why do we need to be redeemed? Why do we need to be redeemed? Well, we need to be redeemed, dear friends, because we are in bondage and we need a ransom to redeem us. We need to be redeemed, first of all, from the bondage of sin. Paul, in his text, relates redemption to the forgiveness of sins. And in Galatians 3.22, he says, The scripture has concluded all under sin. All, that includes You, it includes me. We are all under sin. We are all subject to sin. We are all sinners. 
and we need to be saved from our sin. Sin separates us from God and it would keep us out of heaven. In Proverbs 5 verse 22, it says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. The natural man is bound by the cords of sin. They enslave us, they keep us in bondage. The scripture says that we are lost in trespasses and sins and therefore we need someone to save us. Think of a child lost in a big store amongst all the crowds. The child is too young to speak. It can't tell anyone its name or where it needs to go. It can't help itself. It needs to be rescued. It needs to be found. Jesus gave the illustration of a lost sheep. A little lamb that had wandered away from the fold. It was all alone. It was lost and helpless. It was in great peril and it needed to be found. And Isaiah says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We are all like that sheep. We are all lost. We all need to be saved. Peter says that those who know Christ have been redeemed from their vain conversation, or we could say from their futile lives. A life of sin, a life without Christ, is a life that has no real purpose. And there are millions today, literally millions, who are living under the bondage of sin. It controls their lives, it keeps them from truly knowing God, and it will send them to a lost eternity apart from him. Even as Christians, even as the Lord's people, we know something of the effects of sin in our body. Yes, we're saved from sin's penalty by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but sin will still try to keep us in bondage. In Romans 8.23, the apostle says, we groan within ourselves. We groan because of that sin. We groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Yes, we are already saved if we are trusting in Christ from the, the, the penalty of sin, but we still know something of the, the power of sin reigning over our bodies. But we look forward to that day when that work of redemption will be, be complete, when Christ comes again and we will be given a, a body like unto his glorious body. We mentioned the story of the, uh, the slave girl. She was re released from bondage, but where should she go? What should she do? She might be recaptured and fall back into bondage. And that's a picture to us. We need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to walk closely with him. We need to serve him because we might so easily fall back into the bondage of sin. And then secondly, we need to be redeemed from the bondage of the law. Romans 7.1, Paul says that the law has dominion over us. It has dominion over us. All our lifetime, we are in bondage to it. When we think about the law of the land, we can say, well, generally, it's a good thing. Society needs rules. 
We might not agree with all the laws that are being framed uh, today, but on the whole, the law is still there to protect us and to look after our interests. And though human law may be deficient, God's law is not. Romans 7.12 tells us that the law is holy and just and good. But the great, great dilemma is that man in his sinful state can't keep it. The Old Testament shows to us the the utter failure of man to live by the law. The Jews tried to do that throughout the centuries, but they failed again and again. And there are people today who think that by keeping the law or by doing good works, they will attain heaven, That, that somehow God will simply overlook the wrong that they have done. It's like the scales, they think. There's a pair of scales, and on the one side are the bad things that we do, weighing it down. But then if you put good things on the other side, then then surely it begins to tip in the other direction. And they hope that by the time they come to leave this world, the good things will outweigh the bad things, and therefore they will get to heaven. But you know, that's not the way that justice works, is it? If you go to court because you're accused of breaking into a house here in Bedford and you stand before the judge and you say, well, yes, judge, I was hard up and I did break into that house, I admit it, and I stole something. But, you know, there are all these thousands of other houses in Bedford and I didn't break into any of those. He's not going to say, well, that's all right then, you can go. He's going to say, but you've broken the law, you're guilty, uh, and you have to pay the price. And that's not the way that God's law works. To be saved by the law, you need to obey it, and you need to continue in it, and you need to do it without fail. One lapse, uh, and you are guilty. And none of us can keep God's law uh, without fail. The law wasn't given to save us. The law was given to reveal sin. Galatians 3.11 says, No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's futile to try because God says that no man is justified by the law. In the previous verse, it tells us that we are under the curse of the law. And yet millions today are seeking to obtain redemption by their works. But in reality, they are in bondage to the law and the law condemns them. And then thirdly, we can say that we we need to be redeemed from the bondage of death. Death is the product of sin, the result of not keeping the law. Hebrews 2.15 tells us that through the fear of death, we are subject to to bondage. We are in bondage to the fear of death. Death death is something that we try to put at the back of our minds, but it's still there, isn't it? It's an enemy that we must one day face. It keeps mankind in bondage, and we need to be released from it. The prophet Hosea highlights the problem of sin, but in chapter 13, verse 14, he provides hope. God says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. 
an Old Testament promise that we see fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God willing, we're going to turn to that book this evening. But fourthly, we need to be redeemed from the bondage of Satan. 2 Timothy 2.26 talks about being in the snare of the devil. Hebrews 2 says that Satan is the one who has the power of death. And so we're being held captive or in bondage to him. Satan will do all he can to keep us walking in sin and to keep us from finding God and to keep us out of heaven. And so we can see that mankind is in bondage. Galatians 4.3 sums it up by saying, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. And so next I want to ask the question, how are we redeemed? How are we redeemed? Our text says that we have redemption through his blood, that is, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says that we are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And this is the greatest price possible. When God decided to redeem mankind, he didn't look for an easy way. He looked for the most precious price that he could find, and that was the blood of his own dear son. The Lord Jesus didn't simply pay the price, he was the price. He stood in the sinner's place to take our guilt and blame, to offer himself as a ransom. He poured out his blood in order to save us, and through his death we can know cleansing and peace and pardon. That work of redemption was finished upon the cross. All we must do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept the, the, the sacrifice that he has provided for us. Imagine, if you can, a man being held captive in a dark dungeon and a friend comes and he sees the magistrate and he pays the price to release his friend. And he comes down into the dungeon and they open the door. The door is open wide. The man is sitting there in the dungeon. And all he has to do is to get up and to walk out of the door. Dear friend, if you're not trusting in Christ today, if you're not prepared to accept the price that he has paid for you, then you're, you're sitting in a dungeon with an open door. You must get up and you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many today who claim to know the answer to man's needs. Uh, and the answers they give are as many also as the, the, the people who claim to know them. But only the Lord Jesus Christ can redeem us. Only he has paid the price. There is no one else who has died for the sin of mankind. Psalm 49, uh, verse 6, warns us uh, on this matter. It says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious. We can't save ourselves. We can't save others. Only Christ 
can do that. The value of a soul is far too great for any man or woman to pay the price. Just in passing, this is where uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, go wrong. Uh, They speak of Christ being the ransom price for our sin. Well, that's good that they understand that much. In fact, they're they're, they're so close to the truth, uh, and yet at the same time, so far from it, because they don't recognize the value of the ransom. They teach that Christ was a created being, not part of the triune God. They don't have the faith of Thomas, who meeting with the crucified, risen Saviour, declared, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. I looked it up out of interest, that phrase, my Lord and my God, is translated in the same words in virtually every English translation. There is no difference. The Lord Jesus Christ there is declared to be both Lord and God. Interestingly, the Jehovah's Witnesses have the the same translation uh, in their own scriptures. In Acts 20, verse 28, it speaks of the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. With his own blood. It doesn't say with the blood of his son or with the blood of Christ. It says with his own blood because Jesus Christ is God. He is a member of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. Paul turns to this great theme of redemption in the book of Galatians. In chapter 3 verse 10, he says as many as, many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. In chapter 4, verse 5, he tells us that Christ came to redeem them that were under the law. This redemption, our text in Ephesians tells us, is according to the riches of his grace. It isn't of works, but it is the free gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said this, he said the heart of the gospel is redemption and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. They who preach this truth preach the gospel in whatever else they may be mistaken. But they who preach not the atonement, whatever else they declare, have missed the soul and substance of the divine message. Just before we finish, I want to note briefly the benefits uh, of redemption. And the first one I want to mention is this. We've seen it already, forgiveness. Our text tells us that we have forgiveness through the redemption uh, that is, is to be found in the blood of Christ. If we are trusting in his precious blood, then our sin has been dealt with. God says that he will remember our sins no more. In Job 14 verse 7, it gives us a lovely picture. It says there, my transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. We have a a picture there of God, as it were, taking our sin, putting it into a bag, and sowing it up. 
It, it, it is safe inside that bag. It will never be released. God will dispose of it in whatever way. Well, it's all, all figurative language, of course, but this is, this is what God has done for us. He's taken our sin away that it will be seen no more. We have forgiveness. And then we have deliverance. Colossians 1 verse 13. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. There we have that message again. Redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through this that we have deliverance. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he delivered himself to the powers of darkness on the cross in order that we might be delivered from them, from sin and death and from Satan. And then we have justification. Romans 3 verse 24 says, We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you are redeemed, then you are not only forgiven. That seems enough, doesn't it? But there is more than that. You are justified as well. That means that we are made righteous. We are made acceptable in the sight of God. He doesn't just forgive us and then say, well, you can go your own way, but you can't come near me because you're sinful. He justifies us. He makes us acceptable that we might come to him. And then also we have adoption. Galatians 4 verse 5 says that Christ came to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Friends, if we are redeemed, then we are made children of God. We are part of his family. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is, a, there is another benefit that is yet to come. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, it refers to the redemption from our sinful bodies. Redemption from our sinful bodies. We've thought about this already. Yes, we are redeemed. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, and yet sin tries to hold on to us uh, in this mortal body. But that day will come when we are finally redeemed from our sinful bodies. And sin will be no more. As Christians, we're, we're not free from sin. We grieve over it. But we look for that day when, when Christ will come and when sin will be no more. Philippians 3.21 says, He will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And one final thought on our redemption. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it refers to it as Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. It is not just for now, although we can know something of the blessings of redemption here and now, but it is something that is for all eternity. It is something that will never fail. It will last forever and ever. Eternal redemption through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I close with this quotation from Jonathan Edwards. He writes, The redeemed are dependent on God for all that they have. Wisdom, the pardon of sin, 
deliverance, acceptance in God's favour, grace, holiness, true comfort and happiness, eternal life and glory. All these we have from God by a mediator, and this mediator is God. God is both the purchaser and the price. For Christ, who is God, purchased these blessings by offering himself as the price for our salvation. Amen. All glory.